0: Good morning, church. Uh, My name is Isaac. If we haven't met, and I have the pleasure of serving as one of the pastors here at Cornerstone. Uh, Today, we're going to be sort of, kind of continuing a a series of coming to Jesus and beholding Him. And so, uh, with that in mind, would you uh, turn your Bibles, if you do have your Bibles, to Luke chapter 10, verse 38 to 42. Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. And if you have found in your Bibles, would you stand for the uh, reading of God's worship of God's word for this, an act of our worship to him. Luke chapter 10 verses 38 to 42. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the feet at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. may be seated. Would you join me in prayer? Gracious heavenly father, we thank you for your holy word. We thank you that God, that this word um, is is used to teach us, to rebuke us, to even correct us, to train us. And so Lord, would you speak to us now through your holy word? I pray that Lord, that you would help me to faithfully proclaim the gospel and help us to have open ears to hear your word. May may your word transform our hearts today in Jesus' name. We pray. Amen. This week, as I was eating dinner, uh, no dinner, I was eating breakfast with my wife. She asked me a question as we were eating an avocado. Is an avocado a fruit or a vegetable now? Avocados, when you look at it, it's green and it doesn't taste like a fruit, but Google says that they are, in fact, categorized as a fruit. In fact, some people would call an avocado a big berry with one seed. This question then made me start Googling what the distinct qualities of a fruit or vegetable are. Now, fruits usually develop from the flower of the plant, while the other parts of the plants are usually called what we I think are vegetables. Fruits usually have the seeds, while vegetables are usually the roots, the stems and the leaves of the plant. And then I found out something interesting, that there are many fruits today that are often mistaken as vegetables when they're really fruits, such as squash, uh, cucumbers, peppers, eggplant, olives, and the list goes on. You see, my mind was blown. Would I still eat these fruits? Probably not but just wanted to let you all know, <laughs> but it made me think what actually makes a disciple of Christ, a disciple, what are the distinct features is, is a disciple, a disciple by the way he acts, or is it something that she does? How can you tell if one is a disciple today? We see this famous text of Mary and Martha and we see how, uh, one, what actually makes a disciple a disciple. And today, a disciple is one who prioritizes the word of God in their life. So here is the gospel truth, the one-sentence summary of our message today, that Jesus invites us to come and feast on his words. Today, Jesus invites us to come and feast on his words. Now, this passage is short, but there's a lot going on here. We have two sisters who are compared because they're doing completely opposite things. We have Mary who's sitting at the feet of Jesus while (laughs) Martha, on the other hand, is frantically running around the house as she has much to do. And I want us to take a closer look at each of these sisters' actions today. In verse 39, if you look with me, Mary is introduced to the reader. We don't know much about Mary, but all we do know is that she is doing something unusual. It says, and she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Now, why is this unusual? It's unusual because according to ancient customs, females and males had certain social expectations. And the social expectation for Mary was to be in the kitchen with Martha and to serve. While the place where Jesus taught was designated only for the men. So, it's unusual, for, right off the bat, it's unusual for Mary to be sitting at the feet of Jesus. But when we, what gets this passage more mind-boggling is when we realize that Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. Now, why is this mind-boggling? In today's society, to be sitting right next to someone's feet is probably the worst seat in the house. Uh, usually, in our minds, the front is not the best seat. When we go to the movies, especially if we come late and the seats aren't assigned, uh, we'll pro- the empty the empty seats are usually in the front. And so we're sitting and our neck is hurting because we're looking at the big screen like this. Another example is when we come to church, oftentimes the front rows are the usually the ones that are empty because you don't want to get baptized by the preacher's spit. <laughs> but in the ancient world, the best seat was actually right here. To sit by the rabbi's Feet. In fact, the seat was only reserved for those that were called disciples. Essentially, what this means for us is that in order for you to sit there, you had a special access. You needed special access. We see this in Acts 22, verse 3, where Paul says, I'm a Jew born in Tarsus and Cilicia, but brought up in the city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel. Just as Paul sits at Gamaliel's feet, Mary is sitting in the feet of Jesus. And what this represents is that Mary shows us today that she is in fact a disciple. But the question becomes, who is Mary to have such access I remember when I was younger, my family used to go watch, uh, you know, the Mets play at, uh, at the stadium or we would go to the museums. And one of the things that I was always so curious about was there was these areas that were marked off uh, by this kind of big red sign that said restricted area, uh, authorized personnel only. And I was curious for two reasons. The first reason was that I was wondering what in the world is in that room that makes it so restricting? You know, what could possibly in that room that only certain people can enter? And the second thing I was curious about was, who had such access? Who do you have to be to enter in to this special place? And as you get older, you realize the restricted areas was probably just reserved for workers who are, you know, had to fix things or do something. But who is Mary to have this special access? Was Mary a celebrity that we don't know of? Does she buy a VIP like special early pass to get in? No, she's just human. There really wasn't anything special about her. In fact, from this story, we realized that Jesus would encourage women to learn and to be his disciples. But much more than that, we see that Jesus invites all those who are socially unexpected to come and be his disciples. You see, all throughout the Gospel of Luke, Luke brings and highlights the reversal that is being placed in the world. Luke does this by repeating a certain theme all throughout in chapter 13, verse 30. It says, and behold, some are last who will be first. Some are first who will be last. In 14, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. In 18, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. You see, Luke is highlighting this reversal of roles and social status, and especially he's bringing to attention this particular emphasis that God loves the poor. That God loves the tax collectors. That God loves the outcasts, the sinners, the women, the Samaritans, and the Gentiles. You see, what all these groups have in common were that they were all socially not allowed to come in. In fact, the Pharisees would have ruled them out as disciples, but Jesus doesn't. What does he do? He invites the women he invites the outcast. He invites the sinners. He invites those who feel too ashamed to come. He invites all those who shouldn't be there by society's standards. And he invites them all to be his disciples. You see, this morning you might feel as if you can't be Jesus' disciples because you sinned too much. You've committed too many sins to count. You may feel unworthy because you're not a somebody. You may feel like these seats are only occupied by those that are holy. Well, the good news of the gospel is this, that Jesus Christ came to seek and to save the lost. He didn't come for those that were perfect. He didn't come for those that were somebody's. He came for you and me. Today, Jesus invites you to come and to be his disciple. But not only does he invite you to come, He calls us to feast on his word. So as Mary isn't sitting at the feet of Jesus, we then see this picture of Martha doing something else, and she's doing a lot of somethings. You see, in contrast to Mary, Martha is running around frantically. You can almost picture it in our minds as she's making sure that the whole house is done and ready, that the feast is ready. In verse 40, we see, but Martha was distracted with much serving. See, the word here, distracted, literally means to be drawn away or to be dragged away. And so what we see happening here is that her attention is being diverted. It's like when we're driving and all of a sudden you see on the side of the road the new Krispy Kreme donut shop. And so we get distracted. What ends up happening is we look at the magical green and the white color all of a sudden our car naturally follows that way. Uh, I will be doing pastoral visitations at Krispy Kreme next year. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, but for Martha, her attention is being dragged away that way. Her desire to serve Jesus, will leads us to really forget the most important thing. Whenever I think of Martha, I think of my upbringing in the Korean church. Now in the Korean culture today, serving the pastor was like this great like honor and priority. The pastors would always eat first. And whenever a pastor was coming over to your house, there was this great big banquet feast that was being prepared. I remember when I was younger, every year, my parents would invite the pastors and some of the elders and some of the community group members to come for this house worship. And I always knew that the pastor was coming when, as soon as I got home, my mom was already cooking something and she would yell at me, go clean your room. And I would be like, okay. (laughs) And as a kid, I was happy about the feast that was to come, but I dreaded the cleaning up part, but this was the norm. But the strange thing was though, even though my mom would be hospitable to these guests And as the pastor is preaching this great word of encouragement for my parents, my mom was unable to listen. And the reason why is because she was too busy occupied with the things that she needed to get done. She was trying to make sure that all the food was ready and prepped well, ready to be consumed by all. And here and there, she'll stop and sit and listen. But her mind was running, making sure that everything was good. Martha was like this. She was distracted, trying to get everything ready, making sure that everything was good. And I'm sure we can all relate to that as well. You see, serving isn't a bad thing. In fact, when we look at the previous story before today's passage is the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. In verse 37, Jesus says this, And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. And the emphasis here is that Jesus is making that the practice of doing good is good. We should do so. In fact, serving each other is a good thing. We actually need more Martha's in the church that are willing to serve. But when the practical is prioritized over the spiritual, then that becomes a problem. You see, Martha wanted to create and give Jesus the biggest and best feast ever. And without a doubt, he deserves that. But the problem with Martha, you see, was simply she lost sight of what was necessary, what was important. You see, what takes more precedence? Is it to serve God? Or is it to listen to his words? And the interesting thing is we all know the answer to that. We know that It's hard not to get distracted and we oftentimes will get distracted by all the things on our to-do list. And I'm sure many of us have gone through this before. We first begin to serve and then because we're so attracted to Jesus's love for us, and so we begin to start serving in various areas that there's a need, but then soon we realize that there's so many problems in ministry, so we get distracted with all the work that needs to get done. And then we get distracted and we forget why we even started serving in the first place. You see, the danger to all of this is that we will end up feeling bitter and resentful towards all. We begin to think that we're the only ones doing all the work. So like Martha, we fall into self-pity. We cry out to God and say, don't you care? You see, once we started uttering these words, we've completely stopped serving God, and we started serving ourselves. Martha was like that. She was doing things every so often. She would look and see Mary just sitting there at the feet of Jesus, and she would ask herself, why isn't Mary doing anything? Why is she just sitting there? Martha's annoyed. She gets frustrated. You See, on the outside, she sees her sister just doing nothing. And then she has enough. In verse 40, we see the breaking point as she approaches Jesus and says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. What we see happening is she's demanding Jesus to help her. What is interesting is that Martha thinks that the best solution to her problem right now is more hands on deck She demands for Jesus to send Mary into the kitchen, to start mashing up the potatoes, to start cooking the steak. But how does Jesus respond to her? If you look with me in verses 41 to 42, Jesus responds like this. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. You see, he responds by calling on her name twice. And what this repetition reveals to us is affection and love. But what it also shows us is importance. You see, Jesus, instead of saying, Martin, Mary needs to go into the kitchen and help you, which is what she's looking for. She's ultimately rebuked. He says, you're anxious. You're troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. In other words, what Jesus tells Martha is that she forgot the one thing that's important. You see, Martha that day had a whole list of things that she thought were necessary. And they were probably necessary to have a great feast. But Jesus says that there's only one thing that is necessary. What is that one necessary thing? instead of telling us what the necessary thing is, Jesus instead shares with us a picture. He says, Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Now, what does the good portion here mean? good portion actually refers to, in Greek, to a meal. In other words, Mary that day was not just doing nothing, although on the outside, it just looked like she was sitting and listening, but deep down inside, this girl was feasting. You see, while Martha was working up a feast for Jesus, Mary was already having the better feast that day. And what Jesus is doing is he's highlighting to us Mary's example. You see, the most necessary thing that we're called to do as Jesus' disciples today is to sit at the feet of Jesus and to listen to what he says. And this isn't just true for Martha. Martha but it's true for all of us. You see, deep down inside of us, some of us have adopted this legalistic way of thinking of earning our salvation by doing the things that we do. So we may subconsciously think that we need to do more for the church. We need to serve, serve, serve. And we think that when we do serve, we'll earn God's favor. We think that our word could justifies us. We think that when we obey God's commands. These are more important than the fellowship that we have with him. But this isn't what the gospel says. You see, what the gospel calls us to do is not to serve Christ for salvation, but the gospel calls us to look to Christ for salvation. Mark 10 verse 45 says this, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. Today, Jesus Christ serves us by not doing what we want. He serves us not by becoming that genie that answers your prayers. Jesus Christ serves us by taking our place on the cross and giving us eternal life. He surely is the bread of life. You see, today we're weak. We're desperate. We need saving. We all need Jesus Christ. And although Jesus Christ is not physically here to speak to us, he does still speak to us through his inherent word. Today, it's only through the word of God that we can come into the saving knowledge of him. Surely God's word is the good portion for us all. But I do want to make something clear. You see, although our work doesn't justify us, it doesn't bring us to salvation, serving is still important for a disciple. You see, what, God, what Jesus is calling us to do is not choose one or the other, either serve a lot or don't serve. But what we ought to do is both. We ought to prioritize the word of God in our life. We ought to serve the church. We see, we're called to serve God from the outpouring of our love for Christ. Now, if you got anything from this sermon at all, I hope it's not to step down from serving. If you got that message, then the sermon's wrong. You see, the most necessary thing that we're called to do as disciples is to feast on God's word and fellowship. But at the same time, in our feasting, we're called to serve him. You see, that day when Jesus was, when Mary was listening to Jesus, I'm sure she wasn't just learning about you know, who Jesus Christ is and what he will do. I'm sure that she was also learning about what she should do for others. You see, as disciples of Christ, we, we still need to serve God by serving others. It's still very important for us to go out and do the kingdom work. But we must not forget what the most important part is. You see, the story of Mary and Martha seems to be the literal picture of Deuteronomy 8.3, which says this, And he humbled you. Let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Today, we don't live by bread alone. We live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Man lives by sitting at the feet of Jesus and taking in what he has to say. Why? Because Jesus is the bread of life. This means that he's essential for life. He doesn't just physically restore us, but he gives us eternal life. And he does so by coming into this world and dying for our sake. So if he truly is the bread of life, then we must come and feast upon his words. Today, I wanna to close with one application for us. You know, today's the last day of 2023, and it's crazy to think how fast this year went. It Seems like only yesterday when my wife and I were driving to Lansdale for the first time and saying, is this farmland? <laughs> but now we call this place home. But when we look back at this year, I think many of us can agree that there were tragically many moments where we missed out on sitting on Jesus' feet because we were just too busy. There's just too many things to do on the list. In fact, next year we'll probably be be busy as well. We may fail in spending much time with Christ, but I wanna encourage you to repent, to turn to Him, to sit at His feet. In this new year, I want to encourage you all, if you haven't done so already, let's choose the good portion. Let's find a good reading plan to read the Bible. And it's not so that we say that we finished the Bible. It's not so that we say that we've, we got this checklist done. But the important part is that we would choose a good portion that can never be taken away from us. You see, just as Christ gave himself up for us, may we do the same as we give up ourselves to him by feasting on his words. It is truly by his grace that we can come and daily commune with him. Let's be a church that spends time daily in his word this upcoming year. Let's pray.